This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Hey everybody, welcome to Shack Talk. Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri of Brewer Agri Outdoors. Come on in, grab a bucket, have a seat. We're going to talk ice fishing for a little while. This and every Shack Talk is brought to you by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. You know, Kyle, uh, we are definitely in the middle of winter. Uh, it has been, uh, the weather's been kind of challenging lately. Um, a lot of guys are still getting out fishing, but we got to make darn sure that people are safe. You know, we talk about safety a lot, early ice, and, you know, that's related to ice conditions. But right now, you know, and with a, it seems like we've been having a blizzard every other day. Well, and um, then the other, the day in between, we have the polar vortex. Yeah, yeah. So we, we want to talk just a little bit about being safe out on the ice, whether you're riding out on snowmobiles, you know, and that's the other problem now, too, is lake travel can be kind of a pain because there's so much snow. So people can't just drive out to their spots. They're out there on snowmobiles, and uh, you always need to be careful when you're out there during these tough conditions. You are exactly right on that, Scott. And, uh, you know, uh, safety is always uh, the utmost importance, and we, uh, we, we kind of preach that quite often. But this time of the year, it's different than early ice, as you alluded to, right? Uh, you, you talk about some of the, the temperatures we've had as of late, uh, at least up here in our neck of the woods. We've seen uh, sub-zero temperatures uh, in the range of uh, minus 33 Fahrenheit. You couple that with some wind, and uh, I know there were a few days they, they canceled schools around the area because we had wind chill effects of minus 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, that is absolutely, um, that's, that's just past the point of, not being comfortable that's to the point of being dangerous yep yep and you know there there's ways that you can uh help protect yourself from something bad happening one of the things obviously is making sure that you're dressed properly make sure you wear the right clothes you know one of the things we talk about a lot um if you're a regular listener of our show you've heard us talk about base layers you know having good base layers having good clothes next to your skin uh, is the first most important thing you know and then layering from there then having a good real good quality outerwear on the outside you know like the Eskimo lockout suit for example um, having a good layering system is super super important and a tip that we had heard just this last week um, and I don't know if we're supposed to tell everybody this but uh, something I'd never thought of it makes a lot of sense is if you get cold feet a lot and your feet sweat if you put antiperspirant on your feet before you go out, then when you walk out and you're being active, your feet aren't going to sweat. So then the inside of your boots aren't going to get wet and your feet are going to stay dry and warm all day long. I mean, you think about it, it makes so much sense and it's so easy to do. Very easy to do. And uh, just before you slide your socks on, your layered socks, uh, just to just wipe a little of that antiperspirant on the bottom of your feet. And uh, and and I am uh, very anxious to try that because I think it could make the difference on those days when uh, it's on the fringe and your feet are feeling cold and it's taking your mind away from concentrating on fishing. Yep. You know, and uh, it's you, basically you want to take the old Boy Scout adage of be prepared, and that is uh, so true in these conditions. Make sure you got some extra clothes along, extra hand warmers. Uh, make sure that you have some extra propane for your heaters or for 
you know, your augers or whatever, you want to make sure you have some of that and make sure you take care of your propane right, right in the extreme cold because it doesn't necessarily work quite as well when it's really cold. It, no, and it's but it's worth the extra time it takes when it, when you're in sub-zero temperatures at night, bringing that propane bottle, that propane tank, your battery uh, from your auger, whatever it might be, bring it into the cabin, bring it into the house. Um, keep it somewhere where it isn't exposed to those temperatures all night long. Uh, and then when you're ready to go out fishing in the morning, you know, it's warm, it's ready to go, and it's it's uh, it's set and going to perform the way you want it. Scott, an, another tip that I have, I think is just crucial is the fact that when you're in, in these extreme harsh conditions, make sure you have a spare set of gloves. As ice anglers, one of the things that we just can't avoid is uh, from time to time getting our hands wet, whether it's landing a fish, whether it's cleaning out a hole or doing something with your bait. Uh, know that if your gloves get wet along with your hands, that uh, you've got a spare set to get you back to the truck. And even if you have a $100 pair of waterproof gloves, there's going to come a time when that $100 pair of waterproof gloves isn't waterproof anymore. So, you know, you can't necessarily rely on that. Have that spare. Speaking of spares, have a spare GPS. You know, I don't know how many times we've been on a lake where we can't see shore. And you don't really know where to go because of the wind is blowing and whiteout conditions. And I know each of us have been on a lake when our when our GPS failed when we were in those conditions. Fortunately, we were in a group, which yep. is probably one of the biggest safety features that you can have is travel in a group. If you're going to be traveling out on snowmobiles, that kind of thing, uh, travel in a group. Even if you're not, let's say you're going to somebody's fish house out on Mille Lacs Lake. They're out on... They're out on boot flat. They have their fish house out there, and you're going to drive out there by yourself uh, with your pickup truck. That's fine. Let them know you're coming. Let them know where you're getting on the lake so that in case you don't make it there, they can come and find you. So if you are traveling by yourself, make sure you let other people know um, what's going on. Good, good safety precautions, good uh, good care, and, uh, you know, honestly, uh, I know especially uh, some of us who may be more seasoned in the sport of ice fishing, you get confident, but but um, don't let that confidence be your downfall. Uh, make sure exactly. that you are prepared, as you said, be prepared, be thoughtful, and, and be intentional. And when you do that, you're going to be prepared for uh, any of those conditions Mother Nature throws at you, and you're going to have a successful outing. All right, uh, let's prepare our listeners for this week's show. Uh, first of all, if you guys ever need to get a hold of us, uh, Brewer Agri Outdoors on Facebook or breweragrioutdoors.com, uh, you can find us there. Send us a message anytime. Uh, we love to hear from you. So this week's show we have coming up uh, for the Tip and Tactic segment, we have Cameron Tate. He is a knife expert, knife sharpening expert, and an outdoor cooking expert. And we say expert, I mean... You definitely want to listen to this episode. Um, make sure that you have some food handy if you're hungry because you're going to be eating it by the time you're done because uh, uh, I guarantee you he is going to make you hungry. He always does every time he talks because he is such an amazing cook. And then our location destination segment, we're going to chat with Mr. Roger Stearns, and we're going to talk about Lake Metagoshi. Uh, Lake Metagoshi is one of the top big bluegill fisheries in the country and it is a uh, the season is open i believe all year long so you can get out there late ice it's good early ice it's good now it's good late ice but anytime you can plan a trip to lake metagoshi if you have a free weekend uh, you might want to think about it and roger stearns is going to tell us why so uh 
Stick around, and uh, we will be back with more Shack Talk. Introducing an entirely new class of ice augers, the gas-powered F1 and propane-powered P1 rocket augers from Eskimo. These ultra-lightweight augers run fast, spin fast, and cut fast, thanks to their performance-tuned engines, high-speed transmissions, and all-new cast bottoms. All Eskimo power augers feature an industry-leading five-year warranty. Get assurance. Get reliability. Get Eskimo. Learn more at GetEskimo.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another fine Shack Talk episode. This is segment two of today's show, uh, Tips and Tactics with Cameron Tate. Cameron is the owner of Razor's Edge, which is a sharpening service. He is a culinary instructor. He is a food writer. He's a professional outdoorsman. Uh, he is a very, very busy guy, a very talented guy. And uh, we are pleased to be able to chat with him and tap into some of his knowledge. How are you doing, Cameron? Great. Boy, what an introduction. Jeez. Well, you know, that's only like a third of your bio. I mean, if I wanted to read your whole bio, it would take the whole segment. So I had to cut it off a little bit. So, uh, Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on again. So we want to talk kind of here about about outdoor cooking, whether we're cooking on the ice uh, while we're ice fishing, since this is a ice fishing podcast, talk about cooking while we're out fishing or possibly even maybe talk a little bit about cooking our catch um, either before, while we're on the ice or after we get back home. But before that, um, we mentioned that you're the owner of the razor's edge, which is a sharpening mm-hmm. service. And let's ta- talk just for a second about knives. you you are a, a knife expert. We've interviewed you on knives and you know more about knives than anybody I know. But if, uh, one of our, one of our listeners is looking for a good quality good quality fillet knife that they want to have for a long time, maybe hand down to the next generation. What should they look for? Great question. And, and, you know, me being a chef and outdoorsman and and everything else, you know, I get asked that question a lot, but it, it really is, um, what you, what kind of knife is, uh, depending on say what kind of uh, fish that you, um, uh, fillet or what kind of uh, venison or wild boar or whatever. So let's just say that we're sort of in the Midwest and um, in uh, Winnipeg here and, and pickerel walleye is king. So you want to pick a, a knife that is typically going to fit the size, you know, say of a walleye. So up at six, seven inches, you know, is, is perfect. But if we're on the either coast and if we're cleaning, a, you know, wild, uh, salmon or trout or whatever, your knife has to be a little bit bigger. That's your first step. Uh, second step is finding a knife that has a, a good steel and something that is going to hold the edge. And what that means is um, there's different carbon uh, percentages in knives, and what that means is that the more carbon carbon steel in a knife means that it's harder. Um, it, it might be a little bit more difficult to sharpen, but the edge will keep for a long, long time. Um, the, the, the thing that I really look for is really, you know, people will bring me, you know, like a $5 knife and, and, uh, they ask me to put on a $10 edge and it's <laughs> not possible. Yeah. So, and 
Go ahead. Cameron, it, just just a question when you're on the, the topic of the steel used in a knife, and especially when we're filleting, because I think it's, it's pretty important there, the hardness in terms of uh, holding that edge, is there a relationship between that hardness and the ability to flex and bend as you need it to fillet around uh, certain parts of that fish's body? Good question. Not necessarily. So uh, a thickness of a knife has not a lot to do with uh, the type of steel. Um, so you can have a really, really hard steel, but have it quite thin. Um, I use CUDA knives you know, quite a bit. I love them. They're at a great price point. Uh, and they have all different kinds of products, you know, for um, salt water, fresh water. Um, they have um, a, a professional series as well that is um, a titanium bonded. And uh, I love how it fits in your hand. And, and I, I talk about this uh, a lot about how it fits in your hand. And if you're going to be cleaning um, a, a good number of fish, does it cause hand fatigue? Does your hand get tired? And... And I, I've seen some very expensive knives that you put it in your hand and um, it just is awkward. It is uncomfortable. Um, so it fitting in your hand is really, really important. Yep, and everybody's different that way. You know, when we've talked before, you had mentioned that that's probably one of the most important things is to be able to hold that knife and to be able to, to feel it in your hand. And everybody's different. Everybody has a different grip and, you know, the way they move their wrists and all that. So that's, that's huge. All right. So, uh, enough about nice for now. Let's talk, let's talk about cooking. Everybody loves food. I, I love cooking. I love cooking everything. Um, let, and I love eating you, too. You, you'd never but. know it by looking at the two of us that we <laughs> love <Yeah>. to eat. <laughs> I love oh, you guys are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so, uh, Let's talk a little bit about, let's say, cooking on the ice. You know, there are so many ice anglers that they'll go out and take some of their venison sausage that they that they harvested and made their own sausage or had it processed, and they'll bring that out onto the lake. Maybe uh, make some fish chowder. We got a great fish chowder recipe that we'll take out on the lake and reheat out on the lake. You know, and and that's that kind of outdoorsman thing where you're you're out there eating wild game or fish while you're out there trying to harvest wild game and fish, you know, it just all kind of comes full circle. Um, do you see a lot of that? Do you see a lot of people when they're out cooking on the ice that they're really trying to cook something that they've harvested themselves? Well, I, I hope so. Um, and, um, I tell you, you know, fats, uh, you know, venison and sausage and stew and soups and, and stuff like that. It's a whole heck of a lot better than a peanut butter sandwich. Oh, yeah. you know, and some of the fancy ones, you know, they, they eat it up on their big buddy or something and have a toasted peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I've, I've, uh, I've been a chef for many years and, you know, and I, I teach seminars and, you know, I've taught for the last 10 years and um, I've actually started my own uh, YouTube series about cooking in the outdoors. And I, I tell you the biggest thing that uh, is, is the difference when you are going to cook something, you know, in your shack or in your blind or on your boat or on shore is preparation. Um, if you're going out on the weekend, first thing on a Saturday morning, don't be rifling through, you know, your fridge or your pantry, you know, at like 11 o'clock on a Friday night. It's all about preparation. And, and uh, a lot of things that I talk about as well is that the biggest difference right now in people's diet 
you know, is there's two things. You say, what am I going to eat tomorrow versus what, what do I need to eat right now? Does that make sense? Yep. Interesting. So, so if you say, okay, what am I going to eat tomorrow? And then there's planning and then there, you're taking a step out of the freezer and, you know, you, you can, oh, I can make this, I can make that and put something together that's healthy versus, oh my gosh, I am so hungry. I'm going to die. I've got to stop and eat uh, right now, which is usually fast food or something that's not good for you. Yep. That's the, the, the two biggest things that I always say. So preparation is the key. Just um, chop up some vegetables and Ziploc bags, you know, have a, um, I like using like um, like little canned vegetables or fire roasted tomatoes or, you know, put a tin of coconut milk in there. And um, I, I, I love making um, really good but tasty and healthy food uh, for shore lunches. That sounds awesome. That sounds really good. I'm actually getting very... We should have had you as our very last guest of the day because I'm going to need to go eat by the time we're done here. I'm going to need to go yeah. find something to eat. And I haven't planned what I'm going to eat, so odds are it's not going to be something good for me. You know, and um, it's funny. There was a, it was a couple of years ago, and uh, Mr. Bob Azumi called me, and how awesome is that? And and he says, you know, we're going to be doing a, um, a thing in northwestern Ontario, and I want you to come and do some shore lunch, um, you know, for the show. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I said, but I will not do fried fish. Cause that's it. Um, yeah, it's awesome. And, and everyone loves it. And the, the shore lunch and the, and the, the beans and the potatoes and everything else. But, um, I like teaching, you know, a healthier option that when you're finished that shore lunch, you know, you feel good and you're not feeling weighed down and, lethargic and want to have a little nap after and it's it's really all about um a one pot dish you know you chop up your fish add a couple cans of uh vegetables or dice up some potatoes and onions throw it in there bring it to a simmer and um you can even throw some rice in there to cook as well for all sustenance but uh, it's really not difficult yes yeah, so uh there, there's a recipe that you know, I like to experiment with some different recipes, and there's one I've been thinking of. I haven't tried it yet. Um, I, I've been kind of keep putting this together in my mind, and I really want to do it. And it's a, it's a healthy one, like you're talking about, where you take a bunch of greens and then mix in some uh, homemade, like a lemon vinaigrette dressing, and then put your fish over the top of that, you know, some boiled fish, and kind of fold that in with your salad. So you can still get your fish flavor, you can still get your, and all that, but it's in a, it's in a healthy dish. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't tried it yet, but I, one of these times I'm going to, I'm going to do it and then we'll see how the recipe turns out and we'll probably put it up on our website. Yeah. You know, and also I, am the food writer for Outdoor Canada magazine and then also just fishing in, uh, Ontario. And my main goal as a chef is, you know, when people are flipping through that magazine, it's for them to see my recipe and say one, that looks fantastic. And just a, brief look at it and, and the procedure and say, I can make that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can make the fanciest food uh, in the world, but if I'm not inspiring people to cook and to experiment and, and, uh, and to eat healthy, that's what we need to do is, you know, I'm not doing my job. Um, and I, I feel like I've lost. 
So that's that's a big challenge, and uh, but I, I absolutely love it. Cameron, just as uh, kind of looking at our conversation and, and some of the things you've mentioned, um, when we talk about shore lunch versus preparing some wild game at home, do you see limitations in terms of how we have to prepare for a shore lunch scenario? Or, or maybe not. Maybe there isn't any limitations. But but how do you see the differences in those two situations? Um, I think for... for um preparing any kind of venison um, depends on what it is, you know, so I don't think uh, any of us are really going to be cooking backstraps, you know, like on the ice or something, not that I have. Um, but if you're dealing with, you know, tougher cut shoulder or, or some of the, the, the hind part of the leg, uh, really, you know, a little bit of marination and, um, and searing it and cooking it uh, slowly, you know, like a, a really, really nice stew. And um, versus something that you're opening from a can um, is really great, and especially if you've harvested it. And um, the the one dish that I'm going to be doing for my YouTube series is um, it's a venison dish, and it is a um, oh sorry, it's elk. That's what it is. So it's mm. elk, and it's an elk shoulder. Mm. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be making uh, a dish out on the ice. And I don't want to tease you too much here, but it's going to be in a, a pressure cooker, and I'm going to be making an elk stew out of the toughest part of the shoulder, and it's going to take me 45 minutes. Wow. And, um, and it's really simple. You add your, your seasonings, and you sear it, and you add a little bit of acid, like tomato or tomato paste, stuff like that, and you let this pressure cooker uh, do its thing, and I tell you, the flavor is incredible. And um, I've done it with some other things, and uh, some of my friends, they say, oh, what's for, what's for lunch? And I bring out this you know, little <laughs> pressure cooker, and they think that I'm crazy. <laughs> well, Ca- Cameron, what describe this pressure cooker, because you know I have one at home, and, and we use it uh, for certain situations and certain things. But I, I'm trying to imagine bringing that out onto the ice. So are you are you cooking that over just a gas stove or uh, uh, an open fire, or how are you actually doing that? Yeah. So the um, for a pressure cooker, I think mine is a like a tea fowl, and um, a pressure cooker. What it does is it cooks obviously under pressure, and it infuses all of that uh, juice and everything into the, the meat and. But you have to cook it over uh, a gas flame, like on a Coleman stove or, or whatever, so you can regulate it. Um, you want to sear it and um, get some flavor, and then you put your liquid in there, put your lid on, and all you do is you screw the lid on, and once it starts to uh, steam and come out of the top a little bit, there's a pressure valve, then you just turn it down, set your timer, and... Typically, it's in that 45-minute range. You know, it's all done. Uh, once it's done, you shut it off, let everything cool down, and, um, and then you take the lid off, and uh, it's ready to go. So it's not mm. a it's not a lot of gear. It's easy, so you can do it while you're sitting there jigging, jigging for walleyes or whatever you're trying to catch. Um, yeah, and, and, and uh, you got a you got a meal that is a heck of a lot better than a toasted peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> But it's, uh, I tell you, uh, I actually use my pressure cooker sort of as a cooler, so I throw it in my sled and with my gearbox and everything. So I've got my 
venison or my elk or whatever in Ziploc bags, and I got some cut-up carrots and some onions and some potatoes. So I throw it all in the pressure cooker, and when I get out, um, put it on my stove, take everything out, put it on my stove, put a little bit of oil in there, sear, throw everything in, and, and away you go. And totally you can do this while uh, while jigging. Even I can do it. So okay, I, I have one comment. Some I've been thinking about during this whole conversation. Then we got to uh, we're going to get into your information as to where people can get some of uh, some of these recipes where they can see some of this stuff. But uh, we were we were doing an event here a couple of years ago, and we were at an access, and we were frying fish for lunch. And uh, something happened to us that I never even thought about before. We had prepped some walleye ahead of time. We had taken it out to the access because we were going to do that for shore lunch. And yep. uh, there was a game warden that was there at the access at lunchtime when we came in from fishing. And he had asked us about the walleyes that we were cooking, which we had brought from home. And mm-hmm. those fish counted against our limit because yes. they were in our possession. And that's something that I just had never even thought of. But if you're yeah. going to take fish, let's say you're going to go out on Lake Winnipeg and, and catch some walleyes, if you are going to take fish out there for lunch, um, you got to make sure that you're not catching more fish to be over your limit, which includes the fish that you brought out. Yeah, and uh, another thing is, it was a couple of years ago, and we were doing the same thing. We were going to do a... Um, an event, uh, I was cooking for a bunch of, um, guys and it was for a Kamuki event. And, uh, so we had caught some fish and, uh, basically we were going to go back and, and prep them and everything else. But I said, we've got to leave a portion of the skin on because we are transporting it. Yep. doesn't matter. We're bringing it back tomorrow or whatever. Um, that is, that is counting against our possession and, um, doesn't matter because people can make up any kind of story they want. You know, all oh, of this was from yesterday or whatever. You know, it's it's pretty black and white. So, yep. um, and you know, and sometimes the, the conservation officers are really great to say, uh, "Hey, I'm going to give you a little education uh, about you know what is uh, right in the rules and what you guys have to be careful of." And because honest people make honest mistakes. Correct. Correct. All right. Uh, so if people are, if their mouths are watering now and they want to find out, uh, you know, get a couple of recipes that they can either try at home or out on the ice, where can they, uh, where can they find some of your work? Well, um, the, the, the biggest amount of uh, recipes that I have right now is on Outdoor Canada. So if they go on um, www.outdoorcanada.ca, and then uh, there is a little box there, and you click recipes, and, and I've got dozens of recipes that is, you know, with pheasant and pike and walleye and goose and duck and um, anything that you can imagine from the outdoors. And, um, and it typically goes with the season. And um, we just did a dish, actually, it's going to be for the spring edition, and it is um, a apricot brandy goose that's cooked a uh, sous vide style so that's uh, basically in the water bath and um, with this um, honey uh, I'm trying to think of what I just made honey <laughs> apricot sauce and it was amazing so that sounds um, terrible that just yeah, sounds I'm, terrible I'm yeah, I don't know. wow <laughs> and um, 
and we, we cooked it to a beautiful medium rare. But the, the best thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people would ask, okay, you know, I've got a recipe, you know, that's fine. But, you know, I, I'm not really comfortable, you know, how to clean this walleye or clean, you know, like a wild turkey or, or stuff like that or how to fillet a perch properly. I have how-to videos attached to that recipe. So at the beginning of the, um, the video, it'll show how to process um, your your bird or your venison or your fish or whatever, and then I'll show you how to make the recipe. Okay. So, and that's gone over very, very well. So I think on uh, my intro of you when I said that I named all these things and you told you that there is so much more, I mean, I think our listeners now believe it. Uh, you really are the real deal as far as as far as outdoor cooking. And uh, thank you very much for coming on Shack Talk. We really appreciate it, Cameron. Uh, hopefully some of our listeners will be able to find some of your work and uh, experiment on their own. And enjoy it. Sure. Yes. And, you know, and, uh, if I could just add one more thing. Um, based on all this, you know, there's been a huge um, interest in what I do when I go doors, you know, cooking. So I started my own YouTube channel. So if you go under Wild Outdoor Cuisine, uh, there's, um, there's some more videos there, uh, that, uh, we just did one of a lake trout dish out in Ontario and we did a venison liver and we've done a whole bunch of other things, but it's in its infancy. So if people like it, they can subscribe and then, uh, watch for my upcoming videos for that one as well. Perfect. And that's wild outdoor cuisine. All right. Thank, right. thank you very much, Cameron Tate. Cameron, like I said, he's, he's a Winnipeg guy. He's the owner of the Razor's Edge um, Sharpening Service, culinary instructor, food writer, outdoor professional. Uh, thanks for coming on Shack Talk. We'll chat another thank day. Thank you so much, you guys. My pleasure. All right, uh, listeners, stick around because we are coming back with our location and destination segment with a friend of ours, another friend from Winnipeg, Mr. Roger Stern. For the past half decade, ION has been the best-selling and highest-rated electric auger on the ice. It was also the first high-performance ice auger powered by lithium-ion technology. No other electric ice auger shreds faster, cuts smoother, or drills through more ice on a single charge. Whether re-drilling old frozen holes in your shack or running and gunning across the lake, ION is the perfect auger for you. Trust the proven performance of ION and make the switch to electric this ice fishing season. Visit us at IONiceAugers.com. Welcome back to our third and final segment of this podcast episode. Uh, traditionally, our third segment is focusing in on a location or destination. And so uh, that is exactly what we are going to do today. We are very, very pleased to welcome uh, a friend of ours, uh, an individual we've been able to uh, call a friend for over a decade. Uh, this gentleman truly pioneered ice fishing, modern ice fishing techniques on Lake Winnipeg, and uh, he has an awful lot to do with uh, the success we, uh, Scott and I, have experienced. We've learned a great deal from him over the years, and uh, it was it was kind of his his information and knowledge and his ability and, and willingness to share that that has helped so, so many people learn to chase down and, and catch those trophy greenbacks on Lake Winnipeg. 
But that's not where we're going to be talking about for this location and destination segment. We will. Uh, we are welcoming Roger Stearns to talk about Lake Mitagoshi. Roger, welcome to Shack Talk. Hi there. I'm happy to be along. Fan, fan, absolutely fantastic having you, Roger. I know you are not a uh, stranger to media. You have been uh, featured on several in fisherman programs, uh, articles in magazines. Uh, you've you've uh, you've had your your face and some of those fish you've caught uh, on many different forms of media. So uh, great to have you here on Shack Talk. I'm happy to be here, guys. Uh, as a very gracious intro, uh, it left me almost speechless. <laughs> almost. <I> almost. <laughs> almost. I well, do have a passion for a lake in North Dakota. And the reason is all the big bluegills that reside in that lake. Um, it's a fabulous lake. Uh, how can I help you guys? What would your listeners like to know? So, so Roger, uh, when we chatted the other day, you had mentioned, uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, NAIFC, which is the North American Ice Fishing Circuit. And uh, generally, they go to Lake Metagoshi uh, almost every year, um, and for good reason, because most of the anglers in the NAIFC uh, consider Lake Metagoshi to be one of the best large bluegill lakes in the country, in North America. Isn't that true? Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's very true. Um, I uh, fished the first four or five tournaments ever held on Metagoshi in the NAIFC. And uh, the first year, uh, there was a couple of the big-name guys that fished the tournaments further to the east. But uh, as word got out, uh, more and more of those uh, panfish fanatics started showing up there, and there's uh, a lot of good sticks there. And uh, more than one of them caught their personal best bluegill of their life out of Metagoshi. And that's truly saying something when you look at the names that fish that circuit and uh, the the skilled anglers and the, the competitive anglers in that group and uh, and to hear that they are catching personal bets bests is certainly a testament to that lake. Uh, Roger, I know for some of our listeners, uh, it's always fun to kind of kind of just set the stage and share with them a little bit of the. You just even the geography, um, where Metagoshi is located, and I, I think that's part of what makes it special. Uh, would you agree with that? It's uh, it's kind of all off by itself. Yeah, it's fairly isolated with smaller lakes around it. It's part of the Turtle Mountain chain, and we call it in Manitoba. So you get some hilly uh, countryside, not flat like around Grand Forks or Fargo. It's leaning more towards the countryside you see around Malax and in that area. Um, the lake was stocked by your game and fish with bluegills and crappies 15 years ago. It's not an overly big lake, Metagoshi, with some deep basin in the 30-foot range. Uh, probably covers a couple square miles at the most. Yeah, I think it's uh, actually 1,500 acres, So, which, like you said, it's not a very big lake. Yeah, there's a south basin and the north basin, and 
there's dip, different opportunities in both lakes, the deep waters in the North Lake. Uh, South Lake is, uh, at early ice, has a strong weed line-related bite, but uh, it's a popular lake, and uh, I was fortunate enough to fish with Dave Gens on the lake. They The word got out probably about seven or eight years ago about Metagoshi and uh, Dave Gens and some of his clam group would make a trip there for American Thanksgiving weekend, and there's usually always safe ice there, at least for quad. And uh, a few of his videos were leaked out, and more and more guys know about it. And In reference to the NIFC, I can remember going in a tournament there and looking at the lineup, and there was uh, seven or eight guys that had one time or another fished for Team USA. Wow. Yeah, an impressive group, no doubt. Uh, an impressive group of anglers and and ice angling specialists as well. And uh, as you and I know, Roger, there's one thing to be a, a good angler, you know, in general. But some of those guys specialize in fishing through the ice, and uh, they get very detailed in their approach and their techniques. And uh, they're some of the best of the best. Those guys, some of them can go to the extreme of uh, one-pound test and palm rods, but to give you an example of what Metagosh can truly produce, uh, I believe it was three years ago, a gentleman named Myron Gilbert, Team USA, and Dave Ellis, a former Team USA, tournament day uh, 16 bluegills. What do you think their weight was? Boy, I don't know. uh, 15 pounds? Yeah, 15 pounds. Wow. That's a good guess. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Those are some big gills without any doubt. And it's one thing to get one big fish, but to consistently fill fill a bag of that many fish uh, of that size is pretty impressive. Yes. They they didn't win big fish of the day either. Their big fish was only 1.03 pounds. Wow. So you know the other four teams were studs. Yep. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. What, uh, in your opinion, Roger, what's, I mean, w- w- if someone were to be planning a trip and they're planning for a trophy, they want to get a personal best, uh, what would you say there in terms of size structure? You know, uh, can someone expect to catch a nine, a 10 inch? Can you expect to get an 11 inch bluegill? What's, or, or maybe what would be the top end of, of what someone might see out there? Tens are common. Tens are common. Um, nines, uh, like that's nothing. Nines are nothing. <laughs> elevens, elevens are a big fish. These fish are stout. Um, my partner Todd Williamson and I, the one year we won big fish, and our bluegill was uh, ten and a half or so, and it was over a pound. Wow. Wow. Fatties. I've heard rumors of close to 12 inches, inches that are well over a pound and a half. Hmm. Yeah, those are fatties. You know, and, yeah. and, and one of the reasons why we really wanted to talk about this is, you know, later season, you know, after talking to you the other night, I found out, you know, these, these fish are, you know, they're active all winter long from, like you said just a little bit ago, from, 
thanks the USA Thanksgiving weekend on all the way through till ice out. Uh, you know, you can get out there and you can target these big bluegills. But there's a lot of places that um, it's tough to find a good place to fish uh, after mid-March. And I think this is a great option for that because the season is open and there's usually up there on the border, the Minnesota or on the North Dakota, Manitoba border, there's going to be good ice there generally, probably until early April, if not even into April. So this is a great late season destination if you're looking for some place to go. Oh, for sure. I've fished there as late as April 21st. Uh, of course, you have to practice some caution. There's some narrows between the north and south lake at the bridge. You stay away from that area. The rest of the lake, though, is uh, is fairly safe. The shorelines might start to be going, but uh, part of the secret of the success of Lake Metagosh was uh, there were some driving forces behind it and they had the foresight uh six seven years ago to lobby the government for a reduced limit on bluegills to 10 which i believe now all of north dakota has yep that's on the north dakota side there was a what would i call them a guardian angel of the bluegills there for quite a while you know, Roger, as as you look at that, and we talk conservation, you know, a 10-limit uh, bluegill, did, did you see folks, um, I mean, is it predominantly a catch-and-release type scenario, or or is it is it okay for folks to go up there and expect to take some to uh, to have a fish fry, or kind of, kind of what, what does that dynamic look like? Um. Uh- a limit of 10 and you're not there seven days a week and pulling them out all the time is it, it's a healthy lake but we well know that lake winnipeg was once considered healthy as well so right if you're going to have a trophy for the wall some people they're going to fish their whole lifetime and not get a bluegill over a pound if they're out in iowa or wisconsin but uh i've never really got into a situation there where I was pulling up a bunch of five and six inch bluegill. So they're off hiding from predators. There's northern pike and walleyes in the lake and they sort of, the bluegill seem to mix by size sort of in that lake. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, Roger, one of the things about um, this lake is that it does lie in both Manitoba and in North Dakota. So the border goes right through this lake, uh, maybe more of the lake in North Dakota. But nonetheless, uh, someone up there angling uh, and on the lake needs to be aware of where that border is and uh, make sure that they have a license for the respective water or portion of the water that they're fishing. Um, Is there is there you see people fishing up in the Manitoba portion of that lake, or or is it primarily in North Dakota? No, the, the Manitoba portion of the lake, which is probably about 10-15% of the body of water, there, there's a cut line right along the border, it's visible, as well as the lakes charted on Navionics, but uh, you'll see 20 shacks on the Manitoba side, clustered fairly close to the U.S. border, and the sad thing to say is Manitoba doesn't recognize the bluegill as a game fish, and there's no limit for Manitobans. Wow. 
Well, that's interesting. That's good. It doesn't take more than 10% of the lake then. Yeah, but over time, what does that do? But yep. I can't say everybody just goes there to fill a bucket. Bluegill it's, it's, fishing isn't for everyone. And uh, even though that, the lake there, you can get away with five and mil, six mil tungsten at times. When the fish are fussy, you, you wouldn't want to go down to a three mil tungsten. And if any of your uh, listeners end up going up there, take your own maggots. Sometimes you can find waxworms there, but uh, I suggest bringing your own maggots if you like fishing with natural bait. But the plastics work quite well, as, as quite well. So like things like nuggies and the little waxworms with the little tails on them, the rubber ones. Spikies, I think you guys call them spikes. Spikes, yep. Those type of plastic imitators, they work well. So if you hit it right and you talked about April, I remember standing out on the ice there just long rodding a technique from the NAIFC with a long rod in the spring, and you'd be catching one bluegill after another if you were in the right place. Wow. Wow. That's up in shallow water, eight feet, nine feet of water from the top of the ice. <laughs> that sounds like a whole lot of fun, Roger, to be able to be catching bluegills of that caliber um, and knowing you're not pulling them out of water that's so deep where it's going to be problematic for the fish, but yet yeah, you can catch and release them and, and enjoy that experience, and especially the weather that time of the year. Um, one of the one of the things I wanted to, to just find out about and share with our listeners Roger, um, the lake is located 14 miles northeast of Botano, North Dakota. So that's one of the, the you know, cities that's going to be close if folks are planning a trip and looking for lodging and accommodations. Uh, Winchester, Manitoba on the Canadian side is uh, the closest city there. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what is what is up in that region? What's up in that area for folks who are looking to plan a trip? You know, where can they stay? Are there restaurants? That sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Botno has three motels, the Super 8, the Cobblestone, the Norway House. There's also uh, Turtle Mountain Inn, but right in Metabolsh as well, close to the water is the Quilt Inn. And you can find them all uh, all uh, online with a bit of research. One thing to point out is uh, March 2nd, the Chamber of Commerce is putting on the North Dakota bluegill championships and i've heard that they have 50 teams registered already so wow second uh a few of those hotels are going to be full sounds like a fun draw and a fun event and uh, i know i was able to find some information also on uh, www.ndtourism so northdakotatourism.com forward slash botano and uh, and you can Google and you can get connected to those resources as well. But it appeared to me there's good there's uh, good accommodations and uh, relatively close to the lake, so uh, planning a trip shouldn't be that difficult. No, no, no. Botno's uh, well serviced. Uh, some good restaurants right in town. There, I can't recall the name of of them. I haven't been down for a right into Botno for a couple of years. I usually stay at a friend's right on the lake now that uh, I know people down there, but uh, it's it's well worth the destination. Bluegills are such cool fish with all the different colors, and that lake's 
pumps out some giants. Sure does. They're pretty exciting. I know I've kind of bit by, gotten bit by the fever recently too, and it's a fun. Uh, it's it's a fun species to target. They're different, and it and they're definitely different during the ice too. And once they get big like that, they're they're kind of a challenge. Um, yeah, there's some big crappies in there too. Like there's 14 inch crappies in that lake. They what, just didn't seem to take off as well in the spawning. Um, the the in the summer or bluegill spawn time that lake is just rimmed with beds you can sight fish bluegills there the bobber whatever you want so it's and, a uh, it's a healthy population yes awesome awesome i'm uh, i'm ready to pack my bags up and head that direction right now i think scott uh, i don't know about you but it sounds like a whole lot of fun and a great destination to learn about Roger, thanks for spending a few minutes with us and uh, sharing some of your knowledge and insight and experience out there in Lake Mitagoshi. Um, very much appreciated. Oh, no problem, guys. Uh, happy to give you a hand. Uh, anyone going in that tournament, there's some good local sticks there that have won the NAIFC events, and some of those guys are my fr- friends, and they're my favorites to win that event on the second. Are you guys coming up to Lake Winnipeg this weekend? Yes, we uh, we we will be up there. That is correct. Uh, well, bring snow machines. We've got a, quite a bit of snow. That's that's the plan. We can hardly wait. We're uh, we're chomping at the bit to get up there. We bar- we borrowed you a little bit of our snow. Uh, we we figured that we had pretty much all the snow in North America here in our area, but rumor has it that there's snow all over. So. It's not just. Well, I saw some pictures there. They were pretty impressive. I'm sur- surprised you guys even survived. You know, <laughs> and and the awesome thing is, when it all melts, it's all coming to you. So all this snow is going to come to you in a form of water, probably uh, I would say mid-April sometime. So be prepared for that. So 1997, 2001 is the year of high water and floods up this way. And those are the big walleyes that still exist in Lake Winnipeg because those were the two biggest uh, spawn success years ever Like that we can still have fishable fish from. Yep. Wow. About time to restock the next generation, huh? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It would be good. That is awesome. Thank you, Roger. We appreciate your time and uh, enjoy visiting uh, always. Thank you. Yeah, maybe we'll see you guys on the weekend. Sounds great. Folks, uh, thanks for listening in. We greatly appreciate it. And we appreciate Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear for uh, sponsoring and supporting Shack Talk. GetEskimo.com. Follow Eskimo on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to get a hold of us, Scott or myself, Follow us at uh, BrewerAgriOutdoors.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and uh, certainly reach out with questions, suggestions, and ideas. Uh, We love hearing from you. Until next time, folks, get out there on the ice and be safe, and good luck fishing.